Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. Acts is in the New Testament, two-thirds of the way through your Bibles. And Acts is after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then comes Acts. We're gonna talk a little bit today about the church because when it comes to the church, Jesus is, is not asking us to simply come to a place and attend. Jesus is asking us to partner in a mission. There's a job that we've been called to do. Today, as we kick off the fall ministry season again, as we all come back together, relaunching all of our ministries this weekend again for the first time since March, I think we're due a reminder as to what the church is and what Jesus has called us to. Because the reality is Jesus isn't as much asking us to attend a place as he is to partner in a work and partner in a mission. We see this in the very first words of the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, pick it up with me at verse one. If you don't have it in front of you, we'll put it on the screen. Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said all these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So Acts is the story of the launch of the church. And right from the very beginning, Luke, who's, who's the author of this book, Luke in verse one, makes it very clear that things are shifting. He says in verse one that Theophilus, this, this man he is writing, I wrote to you previously about all that Jesus began to do and teach, talking about the gospel of Luke. He said, in that letter, my intent was to fill you in on everything Jesus did and everything Jesus taught. But this is not that, Theophilus, because now there's a shift. And whereas before I talked to you about what Jesus did and taught, now I wanna talk to you about the disciples. And Acts then begins for us the journey of the church, the launch of the church. And we see this then immediately out of the gates because at a time when the disciples were looking for Jesus to do something, Jesus turns the tables and asks them to do something, which is why the book is dubbed Acts. We've called it Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, because this is no longer about what Jesus has done. It is what 
he's commanded us to do. And so Luke shifts his focus. He says that in the wake of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, he appeared to the disciples over the course of 40 days to convince them, to prove to them all that God had done. And then think about that for a moment, right? Like 40 days just to convince them and prove to them that he was physically real. This wasn't just an enigma that appeared for a moment. Jesus dwelled with them for 40 days. And let's face it, I would probably need at least twice that. Because when was the last time you saw someone physically resurrected? Jesus is using this time to build them up, to convince them, to remind them of the mystery of the gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not just to usher in a kingdom, but rather to lay down his life, to die for our sins, to be raised to new life again. This thing that no one had seen these disciples, or that no one could imagine, these disciples had just seen. And Jesus takes the time to reassure them of God's plan and God's promise. And he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all of that. And it's during this time that Luke says in verse four that he promises to them the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's at this point, at this juncture, that a massive collision happens. A collision between what the disciples were expecting Jesus to do and what Jesus was calling the disciples to do. It's in hearing about the Holy Spirit coming that the disciples ask in verse six, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Listen to the question for a moment because the question says something about the expectations of the disciples. Lord, will you at this time Restore the kingdom to Israel. Lord, will you at this time do something for us? The, the expectation is Jesus is gonna do, we are going to inherit. Now, now this is an understandable question because the expectation through all of the Old Testament was that the Messiah would come and, and reestablish a physical kingdom again in Israel that, that, that the Messiah would vanquish the enemy. In this case, he would somehow overcome Rome and set up a physical kingdom once again where God would rule and reign and the people would be blessed. And not only that, but it was understood from the Old Testament prophets that this new kingdom would be ushered in with a new move by the Holy Spirit. And so it stands very well, the reason then that the disciples, when they hear that the Holy Spirit is coming, they're thinking, well, then the kingdom is coming. And so, Lord, are you at this time gonna do this thing for us? Except there's a collision in this moment because Jesus turns the table. They're expecting Jesus to do and them to inherit. And I would argue that we live with that same expectation today. God's gonna do and we're gonna inherit. When it comes to church, God's gonna do and we're gonna inherit. And yet Jesus is turning the table. In the midst of this, look at how Jesus answers them in verse eight. Not only does he say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, but he says you will be my witnesses. Think of these statements in contrast. Lord, are you going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus responds, no, you are gonna be my witnesses. 
Lord, we were expecting you to do something for us, but Jesus turns it around. He's like, no, 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 no. There's something that I need you to go and do now on my behalf. I'm not going into the world to work for you. Rather, I am sending you into the world to be a witness about me. Guys, this is the groundwork for the church. This is the starting point for the church, and the text is screaming at us to understand that the church is a sent people, not a sitting people. Ouch. The text is begging for us to see this because the very first book about the church in the New Testament and the very first words about the church in the first book about the church in the New Testament declares to us in its opening dialogue that the church is a sent people, not a sitting people. We are witnesses. And the job of a witness is to share what we personally know and have experienced. Think about it in a court of law, when a witness takes a stand, they are not coming as an expert to talk about everything. They are coming to give an eyewitness count to their thing, the thing that they have learned, the thing that they have seen, the thing that they have experienced. Jesus says, look, I want you to go because you have experienced something and I want you to talk about what you have experienced. I told a story a while back, many, many years ago, early on when we were in Texas, I witnessed a robbery, the robbery of a jack-in-the-box. Clearly, they were not stealing food. Thank you. They were after cash, right? Because no one goes to Jack in the Box. So I don't even know how much cash there'd be in the register. But this guy, late one night, decides to rob a Jack in the Box. And I happen to witness the entire affair. And so in all the lights and sirens that ensue, I'm asked to stick behind because the police wanna have a conversation with me. And the police are very interested in one particular detail. They're not so much interested in what happened as much as they're interested in who. Who did it? Who did you see? The job of a witness is very particular on this point. Who did you see? Tell us who it was. Jesus is sending us out. Jesus isn't saying, hey, go ahead, sit down. No, Jesus is sending us out saying, hey, talk about who you've seen. That's why I spent 40 days convincing them that he was alive. Now go, talk about who you've seen. Talk about how this has changed everything. That's your only job. That's the one job. It's the one thing I'm commanding you to do in my final words to you. Talk about who. The reason this is so important is because we think for so many of us in the church today, we have the mindset of the disciples in this narrative instead of the mindset of Jesus. And the mindset of the disciples is that God is gonna do something and we're going to inherit it. And while that's true in the grand salvific sense that God has given us eternity and we will inherit ultimately a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the reality is that right now, Jesus has called us to be a sent people, not a sitting people. And I'm so personally convicted over this, especially when I consider my prayer life, because so often when I pray, my prayers are, Lord, would you do a work in that person's life? Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Lord, would you convince them that you are real? Because my neighbor really needs you, so Lord, would you show up? 
And so often for so much of my early life in Christ, I prayed with the echoes of this disciple mentality that God, you do and I'll watch. You do and I'll inherit. When in fact, Jesus is turning the tables and saying, no, you've been a witness, so now you go and talk about what you've seen. It's a shift in the story. But even with this command, notice the disciples need a nudge. Pick it up with me, verses nine through 11 again. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples are dumbfounded, right? I mean, first they've seen Jesus rise from the dead. They, they witnessed him showing up and appearing to them right on the heels of his death and burial. And three days later, there he is. But now, more than 40 days after that, they're now witnessing him rise again. He's literally ascending to the right hand of the Father. And so in a way, this, take, the, the, this text here makes sense that they're just standing there watching, right? I think I would be too. When was the last time you saw this happen? They've now seen these incredible things back to back to back. And in the midst of this, I'm sure they're standing on the top of this mount with jaws on the floor. Jesus has just ascended. But it says in the text that at this moment, two men in white robes, two angels appear and they press on the disciples. Hey, why are you standing here? Part of the disciples likely thinking, man, what goes up must come down. Like, let's see what happens. Part of them is also likely thinking, he just said that he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's gone to get him. Like, it would be terrible of us if we left and he came back with the Holy Spirit, right? Like, guys, I just said the Holy Spirit was coming. Like, why'd you bail? Where'd you go? I'm sure some of them were just thinking in this moment, like, we should wait until these two men show up and they ask the question of verse 10. Why are you waiting? Why are you standing here? He's already told you what to do. And he's promised that he'll return. Trust the promise. But why are you standing looking? Whatever they're thinking, they're not moving. Because here's the thing, they're not supposed to be standing looking, they're supposed to be sent. Here's what I want us to see when we consider this text. Because there's something convicting in this, in this very first book on the church, in these very first words about the launching of the church, there's, there's a message here. And I'm gonna keep the message incredibly simple. There's, there's like 10 different sermons that you could preach on this text, by the way. There's so many theological things that we could get into and so many fancy words that we could use to describe this moment. But I'm gonna keep it simple because I'm a cookies on the bottom shelf kind of guy. And I'm also deeply convicted by this text of how easy it is for us as disciples to miss the obvious. 
So for the sake of keeping things simple and not missing the obvious, I think this text is screaming at us to recognize something, and it's this, that we have not been saved to stay put. We've been called to go forth. We've not been saved to stay put. We've been called to go forth. It's the groundwork for the church. It was the soil that Jesus tilled on which he was expecting us to go and begin this work on his behalf. With his power, by the way, he didn't leave us alone to do it in our own strength. He gave us everything that we needed. But the one thing that we had to do was muster up the courage to actually believe it and obey it and step off that mountain. The disciples had to step off that hill and walk towards a world because we've not been saved to stay put. We have been called to go forth. This is the mission of the church. And if we miss this, we miss everything. We think of the church as a place to come and to sit, but Jesus intended the church to be a people who were sent to witness. It's a simple truth but it's one that we repeatedly and one that I repeatedly miss. Peter Holmes once put it this way. It's a quote that I have permanently on my whiteboard in my office. Peter Holmes said it this way. My life helps to paint my neighbor's picture of God because he recognized his life was designed to be a witness. He was called not to sit, but to be sent. He says, my life paints my neighbor's picture of God. And the question then out of this text is what? picture is your life painting of God? What picture are you painting with your life? Are you, picture, are you painting a picture of a faith that is a weekend-oriented event? Or are you painting a picture of a faith that is radically transformed every hour of every moment in your life? What picture are we painting is Jesus something that you just do with your family on Sunday? Or is Jesus someone who has profoundly changed you to the core? Someone that you have to speak about. The reason I bring this up is because it's right in, in our vision, in our DNA as a church. Our vision is to bring Jesus to every home in the northeast corner of San Antonio. Because we believe what Peter Holmes said, that our lives help paint a picture of God to our neighbors. And so we've chosen as a church, we wanna be the church that, that here and now where God has placed us, we don't wanna be so caught up on either here inside the four walls or, or way far away that we miss the fact that our neighbors need to know Jesus, that our very lives Monday to Friday are painting a picture. And the question is, what picture are we painting? So a few years ago, we decided to double down on this in, in a greater way with something we call the Imagine Initiative. We, we wanted to take just a minute today to talk about that because we really are, are just about 30 days away from making a significant step as a church in this. And as we kick off in fall ministry again, we wanna remind ourselves of these essentials that we're not a sitting people, we're a sent people. This is what we're about as a church. The Imagine Initiative was simply our effort to double down, to invest resources in our vision as a church. It constitutes three things. We wanna be impacting the community 
more in, in a greater way. We wanna be multiplying our ministries because we wanna be a reproducing church and we wanna be preparing our campus because God is already showing up and, and doing a work around us. When it comes to impacting our, our community, we wanna do more in order to reach more that we might say more about Jesus. And we're asking God for that privilege and that opportunity with our neighbors, but we're also seeking to invest more in our city in order to earn the right to have relationship and open up and talk about Jesus. Primarily, this has happened through Love Where You Live, where we've we've kind of stood up this this new nonprofit called Love Where You Live, where we are partnering with the, the local community. In particular, the city of Shirts has jumped on this like crazy. We're hoping other cities will as well. But our partnership there is such where we're able to sit down with the city and say, what do you need? What do your people need? And how do we come around some of those who are the most in need? for the sake of of ministering with our hands and our feet and building a relationship because we believe that good works and good deeds open up the opportunity to speak of the good news. And we wanna speak of the good news of Jesus. We're praying that more cities would, would invite us in to have those conversations. So we've been investing in love where you live And this, by the way, is not something that the church has a group of people that they go out and do and then come back and report to you. No, no, no. Love Where You Live is about you and me as neighbors taking up residence with and in our neighborhoods and doing the work ourselves as groups, as a people, because the church is a set people. And our lives, our lives, not not professional lives, not paid people's lives, our lives as the church. We, the pastors of this community, our lives paint the picture of Jesus. On the most fundamental level, it's about equipping all of us then to love our neighbors well, as Jesus commanded us to. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these rest all of the law and the prophets, Jesus said. And far be it from us to to move past that without doing that first. So we wanna be impacting our community. We also wanna be multiplying our ministry. Here's the thing you need to know about Northeast, especially if you are newer to Northeast. We are a church planting church, period. At our core, this is who we are. Northeast was started by another church that raised up a group of leaders, helped fund this new initiative. They planted this church back when there was hardly anything in the Northeast corner of San Antonio because they wanted there to be a gospel-oriented community of people that were painting a beautiful picture of God here in the Northeast corner. And that is so embedded in our DNA that we continue that to this day. Over the past five years, we have planted four churches and we're working on two more right now because this is a part of our DNA. We are in a very real way, a training base. Many of you will understand that because you're a part of a training base. Our area is marked by one of the largest training bases for the Air Force. And the very people that established Northeast all those many years ago were byproducts of that training base. They came in with this DNA and set it into us at the very beginning. And so part of our DNA is to invest in others, to raise them up and to ship them out because we understand the church is not a place to sit, it's a place to be sent. 
We wanna raise up, we wanna invest in leaders, and we wanna see them go. We wanna see them partner with us and partner in different places in the world. This is why we invest in young churches and church leaders. We plant churches. Right now, we have a church planter in residence, Charles Wright, who is planting one community church. You can see more of this on the Imagine wall in the lobby. And our partnership with him means that he is being mentored and trained here. We are investing in him financially. We have opened up our church to him and said, hey, free reign, recruit people, steal whoever you want because our job is to multiply ministry and reproduce. And new churches are one of the fastest ways to reach new communities and see people come to know Jesus for the very first time, statistically speaking. And we wanna invest in that, it's in our DNA. And far be it for us to break the DNA from the church that did so much to plant and invest in us. We've also partnered in Peru with our very first global church plant. We have taken on our very first church planter in Peru where we have a ministry partnership there. And we're also seeking to work to raise up and stand up a new church and partner with a church planter in Haiti, which has been notoriously hard to get into. And you can pray about that with us. But we're in the midst, because of Imagine and because of its funding, been able to launch our first global partnership for a church plant. How amazing is that? We plant in churches and we invest in young churches and young pastors and church leaders. A part of our investment in this is, is that I myself invest in our denomination, in our district, in young pastors and young church planters. And in the midst of this, over the past handful of years, we've invested in over 40 pastors from all, of, all across Texas and Oklahoma and even Hobbs, New Mexico, which I couldn't even pick out on a map. But there is a church in Hobbs, New Mexico now and a pastor that you have helped invest in to the glory of God because the church is not a sitting people, it's a sent people. And the final thing in this is that we're also seeking to prepare our campus Yes, we're not a sitting people, we're a sent people, but the reality is that in the midst of all of this and even trying to plant churches, we keep backfilling at a quicker rate than we can keep up with. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now in COVID when we're all supposed to be six feet apart. But the reality is this season is actually making it even harder because we can't host all of the people we normally do. This has been a, a perpetual problem at Northeast. The previous two pastors before me faced it as well. And the previous two sought to have a plan to address it. The, the church Northeast has three times max capacity and then regressed for not addressing it. Max capacity and regressed, max capacity and regressed. All because of this critical need for infrastructure. And so the elders, when I got here, were very clear that, hey, we know this is an issue. We know it's our job to address it. Know that as you come here, we are planting churches and we need to do something about the space on our campus. It was no secret and no mystery. And for 10 years, we've been talking about it. Three years ago, we voted on it. And with that vote, we began the preliminary work to draft and start raising funding for a new worship center on our campus because each and every year we get pressed on this. 
It's tight. In fact, I think we, we may have a picture of the new worship facility as well. Just a teaser because we wanna show you more in some upcoming meetings. Today we're revisiting this because 30 days from now, we hope to be breaking ground on this facility. But there are a couple of things that, that we need to do this well. First, we need you to be praying with us because this is not about us sitting. This is about us partnering in the mission and getting involved. And the very best thing that we can do as a church is pray and ask God's spirit to move just as Jesus promised that he would. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Psalm 127, one, that, that we'll labor in vain unless the Lord builds the house. And so we wanna seek God to do what only God can do. But we don't just wanna pray that God will do it for us. We wanna pray that God will empower us to do what he has called us to do. So I'm inviting you to pray with us. In fact, today or tomorrow morning, we will launch 24 days of prayer. And I'm challenging you to take up a 24-day prayer challenge with us. We've written a prayer guide so that you have a, a scripture to read and a prompt, a request to pray about every day for 24 days starting tomorrow. This will culminate then on Wednesday, October the 7th, when we will gather here on our campus for a, a night of worship and prayer. And the point of this is that before we ever go get busy doing the work and driving shovels into the ground, we will season everything in prayer. And you can find the prayer guide on our website, nebc.ch. And as you go on there, there will be a, a very clear link. Grab the prayer guide. Every day, one simple scripture and one thing to pray about. And I'm challenging you. This is what we need you to do. This is what it looks like to partner with us right now, is pray. 24 days, would you commit to praying with us? Because if God doesn't go before us, we're sunk. And unless God does this work, we will labor in vain. Equally, we want you to partner with us, especially if you are a member. We're at that critical time now where we have been working with the construction documents and getting permitting, and we have been securing the loan. Again, something we... we all agreed on three years ago. And then for anyone who's ever done any kind of building and worked with a lender, what always happens at the 11th hour? The lender always comes back with some strange request, right? Like, hey, we need one more thing from you. And so guess what happened last week? The lender came back and was like, hey, I know you're getting ready to break ground, but we need one more thing from you. And we would really like it if you guys would get together and vote once again, because the last time you voted was three years ago. And for our official records, three years is a long time, right? Like when we're getting a home mortgage, we're not giving them statements from three years ago, right? And so the lender said, hey, we're, we're eager to approve this. They've already given us a commitment letter, but in order to secure it, they want us to vote again. And we were like, Awesome, we'll just pull everyone together in the midst of a pandemic and vote because that'll be easy to do. And so here's where you can partner with us. For the next two weeks, we're gonna announce this on October, or October on September 27th, we're gonna gather at 5 p.m. before dinner, real quick. We're gonna rehash everything and imagine. We hope to show you some new features of the building. 
And that night, we as a church, again, we're gonna give the lender what they need so that we can secure the loan and we can take this step towards groundbreaking. And we'll vote again as a church. And here's the deal. I know it's a pandemic. I know it's a school night. I know that you're not used to going outside, but we need you to show up. If you're a member of this church, we need you to come. We need your vote. It matters for the kingdom. And we're not a people who are just gonna sit by idly. We're the church and we're gonna lean in because we've been sent and we're ready to do the work. But the last thing, and if you hear anything in this, hear this. Most of all, what we're asking you to do is be a witness. Your life paints a picture. And the question is, what is the picture that you're painting? Here's why this matters, because one day we will all stand before Jesus and we will give an account of our life. One day we will all stand before Jesus. We will give an account of how we used what he gave us, every breath, every resource. And the question is, in that moment, when, when we give an account to Jesus, what account will you give? What picture will you have painted? Here's my hope and my prayer for our church. I wanna see our church reach more people for the glory of God, more leaders trained for the glory of God, more churches planted for the glory of God. But that doesn't happen unless we all go. Because you live in a place that, that I don't neighbor. You live around people that I may never see. Your witness matters. And the picture that you're painting I love Oswald Smith who once said, we talk, speaking of the church, we talk so much of the church of, of the second coming of Jesus' return when half of the world has never even heard of his first coming. So above all else, may we as a church be faithful, not to a plan, not to a building. May we be faithful to Jesus. May we be faithful to his words. May we be faithful to his calling. You and I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, not so that worship would be rich when we sit in a place, but empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we might have courage to go and make much of Jesus Christ. Which is why with Jesus' closing words, he said to them, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so take what he's commanded you. Take this life that you know. And be a witness. And so Father, we come before you as your church. We confess, Father, how easy it is to just go on with our daily business, with the job that you have provided for us, with the, the work, Father, that, that we have been about, but we recognize that all of those, Father, are just a, a way, a means of sustaining our lives while we focus on something greater. And forgive us, Father, for so often forgetting about the greater thing. We're reminded today and convicted today that we've been called 
to be witnesses. And so, Father, would you empower us once again through your Holy Spirit to bear witness in this place. I pray over all of the neighbors, all of the neighborhoods represented in this room. Father, give us courage to walk into them boldly and to be a witness about what we have personally seen and experienced. I pray over our church planters and I pray over the churches that we're seeking to start. Father, may they be a witness to your great work in their lives. And may the story, Father, that comes out of the fabric that we are weaving by your help be one of many lives, of many nations and many tongues, crying out your praise before your throne for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy. Because we chose to go. And so we ask your grace in that and we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.